When I was in junior high, I went out for the track team, and I'll never forget, after one day of practice, every muscle in my body was sore. I had sore muscles I didn't even know I had. And I could barely walk as I went to practice the next day, and as I headed out to the track with a friend of mine, I was complaining the whole way. I'm so sore I can hardly walk. Why did I ever go out for track? I'm going to quit. What I didn't know was a few paces behind me was our coach, Mr. Stymack. And unbeknownst to me, he, ho- he heard my whole sorry, pathetic, sob story. And when I looked back and saw him, It was more than embarrassment. I was ashamed. I was ashamed. Because we loved our coach. He was as hard as nails, but I don't know anybody that I knew that didn't adore him. And he was the last person in the world we wanted to disappoint. I'll never forget what he said. It's one of those things that you just don't forget in your life. You look back on it and you think, I needed to hear this. All he said to me was, Oberg, I thought you had more guts than that. You don't ever forget something like that. And I want to tell you, it that did it. That did it. It quickened my pace. I stopped complaining. I determined right then I was not going to quit. All it took was the presence and the words of the coach that I adored to change my attitude. Seeing him and hearing him inspired me to ignore the pain and to fight on. Do you think being a Christian is a lot like that? I really think being a Christian is a lot like that. We often find ourselves in very hard circumstances. Jesus had told us it would never be easy. He said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. And we all know there are times in which we are sore, we are discouraged, we are ready to quit, and we want to take an easier road. If you're not there now, you have been there, or you will be there. And I think in those times, we desperately need two things. We need to see Jesus, and we need to hear Him speak. We love Him. We adore Him. He is the last person we want to disappoint. And there's a sense in which if only we could see Him and hear Him. Now that is exactly what happened to the last living apostle, the Apostle John. The Bible teaches us, as we look at the book of Revelation that John was 90 years old and he was arrested and he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. Here is Patmos to this very day between Greece and Turkey. And while John was there, he was forced to dig with a shovel in the mines at 90 years of age. Think of that with me. How discouraging. How difficult. How painful. 
We want to say, how could this happen to Jesus' closest disciple who leaned back upon his breast at the Last Supper because there was such great intimacy between him and his Savior? How could this happen? But then one day, in those very deplorable conditions, it happened. John heard a voice. He turned around, and that voice he heard was Jesus. Only he saw Jesus in a way he had never seen him before. And then Jesus spoke, and what John saw and what he heard was all he needed. Jesus inspired him. And this morning, if you are hurting, if you're discouraged, if you are defeated, you have come to the right place. Because we are going to look at this wonderful vision of the glorified Christ. John wrote down what he saw so that his vision might be our vision, and we might be inspired in our journey as we follow the Savior. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And this morning we're going to look at this wonderful vision of the glorified Christ, starting in verse 9 down to verse 20. And as you take your Bibles and turn there, let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? And ask the Lord to teach us. Oh, Father, there's nothing the people of God need in weary circumstances than to see the vision of their King, their Lord, their Savior, and to hear Him speak in such a way that we are fortified, encouraged, and strengthened to follow Him. And this vision which John saw so many years ago is relevant to us today And we're so grateful for his obedience in such hard place to write it down for us that we might love you, adore you, and follow you. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. I want you to begin with me at verse 9, and let me read down to verse 13. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now the best image that I have seen of this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ is this one on the screen that is in front of you. And what we need to be very careful here is to understand that if we were able to see beyond uh, heaven's gates today and uh, look into heaven, that we would not necessarily see the Lord Jesus pictured as you see him here. What we must understand is this is a vision. 
It's not intended to give us a physical picture of Jesus. What it's intended to do is to show us His character, His power, and His glory. And the most important thing of all about this vision is each one of the things that we see depicted here and described by John come from the Old Testament. Every single one of these things is used in the Old Testament to describe God Himself. So these are the attributes of Almighty God. Now put this together. What do we see? We see a man, a human being. But the description of Him is a description of God Himself. So this is the glorious God-man who is presented to us in terms of the God of the Old Testament. Now it's interesting, John says to us that he saw someone, verse 13, like a son of man. That was Jesus' favorite title for Himself. Eighty-one times in the Gospels, He referred to Himself as the Son of Man. And the term came from the Old Testament book of Daniel. There in Daniel, a man who appears, who is clearly more than a man, he has the attributes of God Himself. He is the Messiah, and He has given all the world's kingdoms. And this is how John now sees Jesus appearing to him, and what an appearance that it is. Every description is a description of God Himself. And so, let's begin, shall we? Let's start in verse 13 and look at this description. We are told in verse 13, He was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around His chest. Now, kings wore sashes around their chest not to serve, but they wore those sashes to rule. And so this is giving us the image of Jesus as a king. And I want you to notice what he rules. According to verse 13, he rules the lampstands. Now drop down to the last phrase of verse 20, and we are told that the seven lampstands that you see pictured here are the seven churches. So Jesus rules His churches. But each church was in a city, and we read those cities back in verse 11. The seven churches in the seven cities of Revelation. So Jesus ruled over those cities also. And so here's the first thing we are being told about the Lord Jesus. He is ruler over all. Let me ask you this morning, does it look today like Jesus is ruling over all things? Does it? Iran, still seeking a nuclear weapon, right? Mexico, a war zone overrun with drug lords just south of the border. Chaos at our border that we seem to be totally unable to gain control over. It certainly doesn't look to us like Jesus is ruling over all. But what does the Bible tell us? He is dressed and He is ready. And when the time is right, He will rule and He will reign. He is ruler over all. 
Notice how John continues. We are told in verse 14a that the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Now, snow on a sunlit day is about as white as anything that can get. As we were down in Florida talking about the wonderful sunshine, we said to some of the people, you haven't seen sunshine until you've been out in the snows of Lake Superior and Marquette and have seen the sunlight glistening off of the snow. When I go snowshoeing on a sunlit day, it is like diamonds on the snow, and I wear Polaroids to protect my eyes from the brightness of the illuminated sun off of the snow. Now this white hair that is listed here in the Old Testament symbolizes what? Symbolizes old age. Old age is a symbol of experience. Experience is a symbol of wisdom. And so we are being told that the Lord Jesus Christ has eternal wisdom. And when He comes, He will rule with justice, fairness, and equity. I want you to think about this. He knows all of the facts in the impeachment trial that is going on right now in the Congress of the United States. He knows who is telling the truth. He knows who is spinning. He knows the motives of all who are involved. And He will not judge according to what the media says, but He will judge according to infallible wisdom. How many would like to say this morning, come that kind of a judge? Absolutely. No wonder we long for His appearing. And then at the end of verse 14 from Daniel 10.6, we are told that his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now eyes of blazing, flaming fire do not see you. They see through you, don't they? These type of eyes, they don't just see you. They see through you. And this description is telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ is omniscient. He knows everything about every one of us. He knows the deepest corners of our heart. He knows everything that we've done. He knows everything that we would do if we were given the chance. He knows our secret sins. He knows our past. He knows all of the things that we would want no one to know this morning. And when He judges, He will judge with perfect knowledge. And no one will ever be able to say to the penetrating insight of the omniscient wisdom of Christ when He judges, that's unfair fair. No one will ever say that when he renders his final verdict. As we look on down to verse 15, we see that his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. Now here's what would happen in the ancient world. Ancient metal workers would put a bronze and copper alloy into huge smelters. 
and the uh, ore under intense heat would melt into pure liquid that was white hot. The impurities would rise to the top and they would be skimmed off time and time again. And finally, the pure molten ore would be poured into a mold and it was blazing red and pure. And this image of our Savior describes His absolute moral purity. You know what this tells me for us this morning? Jesus has one overarching goal for all of His followers. If we were to say, what is the one thing that Jesus is working in each of our lives that is the overarching goal of all that He wants for His children, it would be our moral purity, our holiness. And just as this molten liquid was melted down and refined in a furnace, so Jesus will do whatever is necessary in refining us in the hottest fires that we might be made like Him. It is the work that He is doing in His church today. Now as we continue in verse 15, we see another image. We are told from the book of Ezekiel that his voice was like the roar of many, many waters. Uh, This gives us a couple of images. It's very likely that as he was on the island of Patmos, that he heard the waves of the Aegean Sea uh, lapping up against the shore on a regular basis. Another image here of the roar of many waters suggests to us a waterfall. I read about a man who was at the base of Niagara Falls. And he was trying to explain something to somebody standing right next to him. And I use the word trying. Because no matter how much he tried, not one word could be heard. Not one. All was drowned out in the magnificent power of the cascading Niagara River. And what we are being told about the Savior here is He has total authority. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. One day, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox talk radio, all will be silenced. Can I hear this morning a yes? A yes? And one clear voice of perfect truth alone will be heard and obeyed. And that will be the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus. And no wonder we long for that day to come. Now notice in verse 16. In His right hand, He held the seven stars. The seven stars, according to verse 20, are the messengers that would be sent with the book of Revelation to the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. 
And Psalm 110.1 tells us about God that to be able to sit at His right hand where the Messiah will sit is the place of ultimate authority. I want you to look for just a moment at these stars that are in the sky at night. Look at that brilliant display through the forest of trees. Here are stars that are millions and millions and miles away, and yet in the dead of night when you walk out, and here you are underneath the trees in a forest, those stars totally dominate the night. But think of this. Think of this. Holding stars like this in your right hand makes them look puny, weak, and tiny. And the Lord is telling us about our Savior that He has total, total control. How helpful this is. Nothing that ever happens to us frightens Him. All the things this morning we are worried about and troubled over and wondering about, those things have never, ever troubled or worried Him. He possesses us. He directs us. He holds us fast. If He can hold the stars in His hand, He knows the way that we take. And He controls all the circumstances in that way. Notice in verse 16, we are told, and this image comes from Isaiah 11.14, that from His mouth is a sharp, two-edged sword. Now you know that the Romans had two types of swords. They had the dagger that was held in a sheaf and they could pull that out for hand-to-hand combat. But they also had the Roman broadsword. That was a long sword with a two-edged side. And the only way that you could wield that sword was by two hands. And you would take that sword and you would take both hands and you would wield it. And it was used for one purpose... And one purpose alone, it was used to kill. And the Roman broadsword ruled the world. And what this tells us is that Jesus has total victory. Total victory. The fact that the sword comes from His mouth shows that He will speak, And when He speaks, what He says will be enacted, and none will ultimately escape His conquest. He has total victory. And then notice John's final description of Him, which he saw. And this description comes from places like Isaiah 40. 84 or Psalm 84:11 and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now you know this morning when the sun is in full strength there's not a cloud in the sky. 
And when there's not a cloud in the sky and the sun is shining in full force, it dominates and fills the entire horizon. From one end of the sky to the other, it diffuses its light as a single dominant object that no one can escape. And what does Revelation 5 say about our Savior? He alone is worthy to receive praise, strength, honor, wealth, wisdom, and glory. And so what this image of the Lord Jesus is, is the image of Him glorified. He is the single dominant object whom the Bible says fills all in all. Let me ask you this morning, do we need to see this kind of Savior as we begin 2020? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Now remember, remember, where was John when he saw this image of Christ? Was he in a king's palace? Where was he? He was on the barren, rocky island of Patmos. He was in a dusty, dirty, dingy mine. How many Ishbeming miners would expect to see Jesus like this? in the mind. Never, right? Never. Jesus does not appear in a palace where kings are sitting on a velvet cushion sipping champagne and eating caviar. He appears in the minds of the empire and the Tilden to ordinary people with deep needs. Does that describe you this morning? Does it? Are you an ordinary person with deep needs? In Jesus is here for you. And He does not appear this way in all of His glory without expecting a response. This is not like a movie in a theater where we are impressed with all the shining lights and walk away. Now, Jesus appears like this at the beginning of the last book of the Bible because He expects a response. And I want you to notice now as He speaks what that response must be. 
if we can respond like John did, what a great 2020 it will be. Number one, Jesus expects us to submit to Him. When I saw Him, verse 17, I fell at His feet as though dead. You know, if the President of the United States appeared today, we would all stand in His presence. In a few weeks, we will have the State of the Union. The Congress will all gather. No matter the hatred that exists in our country today, when the President walks into that chamber, they will all stand. But when Jesus appears, what do we do? We fall at His feet, don't we? We fall at His feet. When we see Jesus, we will not say one word. We will not ask one question. We will not say, now Lord, that I'm here, there's a few things that I want to get straightened out. We will fall at His feet in submission. Have you submitted to the Christ of glory? Have you come before Him and given up your life to Him? Trusting Him as your Savior and your Lord? If you truly understand who He is, and you love and adore Him for what He has done, the only proper response is to fall before Him with your life. Trust Him as your Savior and give yourself to Him as your Lord. Here's the second response. Take courage from Him. Look at what He said. He laid His right hand on me saying... Fear not. How many of us need to hear that this morning? Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Brothers and sisters, these are all titles of God. These are all things found in the Old Testament describing the attributes of God Himself. I'm the first and the last. Jesus is saying, I'm Creator. 
I'm the living one. I am the author of life. I am life itself. I am the giver of life. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. He is the Savior. And I have the keys of death and Hades. The keys in the Old Testament was always a description of the person who had the power And thus he is saying, I'm victor over sin, over death and hell. So the words Jesus speaks tells us that he has vanquished all the hosts of darkness and he will take us safely to heaven. And I want you to think about this. If he's done all that, he can give you the courage you need to face your greatest problem. Jesus says, this is who I am, I'm with you. Fear not. Take courage from me. And then, the final thing he says to John is, we ought to serve him. Look what Jesus says in verse 19. Write therefore the things that you have seen, Those that are, those that are, those that you have seen, and those that are to take place after this. I want you to think about this with me. In prison, 90 years old, slaving in a mine, alone, facing potential death. And yet what does John do? When Jesus says, I want you to write, he takes up quill and ink bottle and he writes 22 chapters of the final book of the Bible, John's last book, the book of Revelation. How many here this morning are glad that John wrote one more book? Aren't we glad? How would we be able to say, I may have lost this battle today, but I know the war is over. And I know in the end who wins the war if it were not for the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. And you think about this. The majesty of Christ in those deplorable circumstances inspired John to write one more book. And if the majestic, exalted Christ could inspire him under those conditions, how can it inspire us? How can it inspire us? If you are like me, you need this. The older I get, the longer I've served. It seems like it doesn't get easier. In fact, sometimes it seems like it gets harder. And I look at this, and I'm not sure I can keep doing it. 
My problems are, are too big. They're too difficult. They seem to last much longer than I can endure. But then I come here. And I see who my Lord really is. And He is not way out there. He's with me in the dusty, dirty, grimy, day-to-day experience of life. And the very thing He calls for is the very thing He will enable. You need this image. And I need this image too. Let's thank Him for it, shall we? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, If you don't know this Christ today, He calls you to come to Him. He's alive. He has paid the price for all your sins. He's the author of life and eternal life. And He wants to be your Lord and Savior. And you can cast yourself at the foot of His cross today. You can call upon Him for mercy and saving grace. And He will save you. He will save you now. And some of us here today, 2019 was a hard year. We've come into the new year and we're weary, discouraged, ready to quit. And would we pray today, Lord, renew my vision of You. Help me to see the wonder and glory of my Savior. Help me to see He has never failed. He will never fail. And He will sustain me, encourage me, And give me all the strength that I need. Oh, how He longs to hear that kind of a prayer from His children. Offer that prayer to Him now. Thank You, blessed Lord. Thank you for your sake. Amen.